Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. Hello, ladies, and thank you for joining us for this most sacred and special podcast. I have a sister in Christ on the phone with me, and her name is Carrie Farley. Say hello, Carrie. Hi. She is joining me from Kansas. We're connected via telephone. And as you know, we have been sharing that on the day of this podcast release, we would be sharing the testimony of um, a woman who has uh, walked through abortion and healing and restoration with the Lord. And that is Carrie's testimony. Why do we share testimonies? We, we do this often on the podcast, and I just want to circle back to why we take the time to do it. And, and it's because testimony is a tool that the Lord has given us to overcome. Uh, the power of testimony and the blood of the Lamb is how we overcome. But truly, there's something about hearing another woman's story and the truth and faithfulness of God in her life that shines light into places of darkness and isolation that we may be a bit tied up with. And and so Carrie has written a book, just so you all know. I purchased her book on Amazon, and it's called Holy His Surrendering the Heartbreak of Abortion by Carrie Farley. And she shares her whole journey. And I may quote some things from the book, uh, but I want to honor her time and our time together and um, and, and really get to um, the heart of her story. Um, I think it's important that I say as a women's ministry, we are choosing to uh, to make space for this because it is near the heart of God. We cannot, in sincerity, minister to issues facing women without recognizing that there are many women in our midst in the faith community who have been through abortions, whether through choice or through uh, or a willing choice or through a persuasion or, or coercion. And um, and I really I in in all the things that I, I've done and and being and growing up in church, I just can't think of a moment where we've had an evening in a space or a setting just to minister to those women carrying that. And so the Lord birthed in my heart this desire to see Entourage open its doors on May third for a walk in. And uh, we're calling it Walk Into Freedom and Exchange. And it will be at 6.30 p.m. at 1104 West Alabama in Durant. And it is um, just a time for women who want to come out of the shame and secrecy of, of what um, maybe their past has held and allow them to walk into a place where the doors are already open and we are waiting to receive them. And so in preparing for that, um, we recognize it's before Mother's Day, and we just feel like that was the handprint of God, that He wanted to redeem those stories and those women on what would sometimes be a painful week. And so that is how Carrie comes into this intersection. We knew we had to have testimonies to soften the soil and soften the ground. And and Carrie, I thank you for sharing uh, your pearls with us, the costly things of your heart. And um, 
And and Carrie currently, um, besides raising her own family, she devotes her time and her life to post-abortive ministry. So, uh, for example, when we hop off the phone, Carrie, you're going to be going to an appointment, which is uh, a type of an appointment that you would have at a, on a pretty regular basis. What will you be doing when you go to to your appointment when we get off the phone? So, yeah, we... Um when women have chosen abortion, we like to assess the whole woman um, because we know abortion touches more than just your physical body. We know you're more than that. As a woman, your mind, your soul, and your body. So we actually do oftentimes have a physical nurse come in and assess to see, check your vital signs to see if there's anything physical going on. But then my portion is to talk about those emotional and spiritual wounds that have occurred. So I will just kind of be having a conversation with her because like, um, nowadays it's more on what they've seen and experienced with the abortion pill. And it's so traumatic that they have to tell somebody. And sometimes we're the only ones because we already have that trusted relationship in a pregnancy center. They will start telling us their stories. And then we're able to, it opens a door for us to be able to share the gospel with them and hope and healing. And so it's just that first step. And then they choose from there what they want to do with that. Yes. Um, Carrie, before we go further, I just um, discern that maybe there are women listening who already feel triggered and they want to turn this off. And so would you just speak from a place of love and invitation Um, and invite them into this conversation and encourage them to hang with us for the next few minutes? Yeah, I do. I just encourage you because I carried my pain and secrecy for so many years because I didn't know how to grieve this loss. I didn't know how to deal with the trauma of it all. So I just carried it as my cross to bear. Like I just deserved it. I didn't deserve to feel any kind of peace over it, but God is a God of peace and he loves us so much. He doesn't want us to carry this burden. It's like, there's nothing we can do about the choices we've made, but we can choose now just to heal and to rest in him. So please don't turn this off. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Okay. So we're in the year 2022 and I think I'm just, because it, um, there's a lot of life that has happened um, in in Carrie's years on earth. And so I think we're going to do it like this. Um, Carrie, in 1982, what was sort of the, the snapshot of your life? So that would be um, in your in your childhood, adoles- uh, early adolescence, what was life like, um, like household dynamic? How, how are you feeling about life in general? What did your life look like in 1982? Oh my goodness. I'm old. I have to go back a little bit, <laughs> but um No, I mean, I had a very um, confusing childhood, to be honest. Um, There were times of poverty. Um, We were homeless for quite a while. We lived just in a tent at some time. Like there was, my dad never had a steady job. Mm -hmm. And eventually he was out of the picture altogether. And my mom was raising us with my oldest sister and her two sons. So it was very much a... um, Yeah, two women raising us, (laughs) and I was the youngest of six. Um, Two of them were almost 15, 16 years older than me, but we all pretty much lived together a lot of the time. I shared a room. I never had my own room at all. Um, 
either shared with my mom, my sister, my brother, like just a house full of people. So there was constant people in and out of the house, but I was still very much alone in a lot of things. So, um, so that's very insecure. So how did that, um, how did that play into, let's skip ahead to 1992, um, young, like, um, entering more a season of young adulthood, um, still very young. What, what does 1992 look like in your life? Um, 1992. So I can tell you, like I was uh, baptized and everything in junior high. And I had this, I was very sin conscious. I was that girl that like what other people could get away with doing, I could not do without yeah. the guilt. And so, I mean, that was what drove me a lot. I was the very good girl. Don't break the rules. And then when I started getting the attention of guys, it's like all those rules went out the window. Okay. And by 1992, I was already, like, I was in love. I was, the whole relationship there, it's like, he wasn't the first guy I'd been in love with, but I was in love. It was like a triangle relationship. There was another girl involved, and but I was in love. I didn't want to lose him. I wanted to win him. So, yeah, I mean, I was, it was a very insecure relationship, but I didn't want to lose him. So um, the dynamics of that relationship ended up um, presenting that you were um, expecting a baby, and um, and so you were you were forced with a lot of decisions quickly, and um, for really I, you kind of describing your book uh, and to me that a, abortion was not really ever a natural thought in your mind that you thought up. Um, explain about what the dynamics of getting pregnant were like when you were in this uh, relationship in 1992. Like, what was um, what was the response uh, of your partner, and how did um, how did abortion come to be um, part of the conversation? Yeah, so um, I can tell you, like, I was very naive. I just thought if you got pregnant, you just got married early. I didn't even think much about. Um, future wise, as far as like, even the relationship I was in, like we, we sat in the back, like when I found out that I'd missed my period, we went and we got a pregnancy test eventually. And I just remember even the not wanting to, anyone to see me at the drugstore, like all this secrecy surrounding all of it. And I remember him having to get the pregnancy test and so we're sitting in the bathroom and we're talking about the possibilities of life together we're talking about where we would live so in my mind it was just like oh I'm going to be getting married sooner than I thought but it was kind of like a fearful but kind of exciting too but then as the pregnancy test after you know you let it sit and wait as soon as he saw the strip it's like I could just see the fear in his eyes and I knew like none of this was going to happen. Like all my hopes, everything I was thinking was going to happen because of our conversation. I knew that wasn't going to happen. Um, a few days later he came back and we had talked about everything and in the, he was dealing with it his way and I was kind of dealing with all the emotions of everything. And I remember even him suggesting 
the abortion and I was like I didn't I didn't even know what he meant at the time like we can't have this baby like and there was a lot I'm just going to pause for a minute because I don't want to say too much yes but um there was a lot there was a lot of fear on both sides and there was a lot of things that shouldn't have been said or done but I caved you know I was I agreed with whatever he wanted to do and he's knew somebody and he brought back a piece of paper with the abortion clinic number and handed it to me and I took it freely. So like, that's where my responsibility comes in. Like I can't put it all on him sure. because it's still my choice. And I took the paper and I made the phone call. And I remember like just sitting, making this phone call, knowing that I, didn't agree with what I was doing. Like I had conviction from the very first. And that's, I think what made my guilt even worse is that I knew better and I went through with it anyway. So for me, and I know not everybody has that already. It's like when I heard people talk about um, their abortions, what made it so hard for me to talk about mine was they were talking about how they found Christ after. And here I am an already supposedly born again Christian, and I chose it anyway. So that was really hard for me. So, and I think that's why I tried to block it out so much. It's like because I knew better, and I yes. did it anyway. And I just I want to interject, um, even in compassion toward you and those listening, that um, when we talk about these things, that you are not the enemy. We are we see the handiwork of of the enemy and deceiving um, women and forcing them in by fear. I think it's no uh, coincidence that you just talked over and over again about the role of fear that was present mm-hmm. that led to that. And so I um, for anyone who is in Christ, there is no longer any condemnation. So when we're speaking about this, though it is hard, you know it, it is a, a painful reality that happened. I don't want you to um, to feel that condemnation. I want and and feel that pointedness, like we are are condemning you. We are absolutely frustrated that the enemy had a um, a foothold of fear, and that's why we want to open the door wide up for your on May third for you to come into healing and for that foothold of fear that he then replaced with shame and hiding and all the other things. We just want to see that that gone. So um I yeah, I just wanted to encourage that as she talks about, you know, that's her story and she knew the Lord. She knew that she'd grieved the Holy Spirit. Um yet well, I'll I'll just skip ahead to you. You no, go on I, to I oh, please. Like, that's why I'm like exactly exactly what you said. It's like we have this misconceived idea about God and even the gospel that we condemn ourselves when He's not. <laughs> it's like it's like what we did was wrong, but we are not wrong. It's like He still loves us and He still values us and wants to us to know Him in a better light, in the true light yeah. of who He is. And I think that, you know, in, in terms of abortion, though one one physical life um, what is always lost or, or if there's one, one baby being carried, I think that what is the strategy of the enemy is to take out 
also an attack the abundant life available to every woman in the future generations and households that will be part of her legacy uh, and, and destiny. So we just we see that um, we're just calling the enemy out the attack on natural life, but then that collateral damage attack of really just um, attacking the livelihood of of women after that through through the traumatic effects of, of what happened with with abortion and. And so I want to fast forward a little bit to, um, and I'm paraphrasing from reading your story. Um, so you you receive a ride to the clinic and you go inside. Um, it's all sort of um, a blur for the most part. And and at one point you have an interaction with a woman, and this was just, just so stood out to me where she could kind of yeah. see the the discomfort in your eyes. And she said, is this your first one? This is my seventh one. And, uh, and Lord, even as we just speak about her, we pray redemption over her. God, we yes. pray that you would just find her, that she would know you and be free in you. But um, you uh, wake up from your abortion and, and you feel, you discern the spiritual heaviness of uh, what just happened. And then you're pretty well sent home to deal with that on your own moving along. Is that a pretty accurate yes. summary of everything? It is. And so um, God so beautifully um, brings about some healing, um, continued healing in her, in her life, blesses her with, uh, blesses Carrie with another baby. She's she's married, ends up having two. She has three girls. That's correct, right, Carrie? Three girls? It is. Yes. And, um, and, and, and God has just uh, beautifully woven her life together. But there came a time where um, the Lord wanted to bring her into full healing. He wanted her to come out of hiding, so to speak. And I want to read the poem. Unless you do, you have your book in front of you, Carrie. Um. Yeah, I can grab it. If you yeah. if you feel comfortable to read um, your poem at the beginning, all is not lost. Um. Or young girl, all is not lost. I would love you to read that. If that would be too difficult for you to read, I'm happy to do it. No, I can do that. And just share the context of when you wrote that poem and in, in sort of the journey. So I can tell you I wrote this poem um, like nine years after my abortion. Um, I was married. I had my three daughters. But I was still like just in prison of my own regret and I didn't know how to grieve um yeah so this was written this was the first um one I wrote like towards other women just because I wish someone had told me I wish somebody which is exactly why I work where I work now it's like I just want people to make informed decisions I want them to understand what all is happening so yeah this is called all is not lost all is not lost, young girl, dry your eyes. The tears will fall, fall much harder if you take that child's life. Unexpected by you, but God makes no mistakes. The choice now set before you is really not your choice to make. There's so much in front of you that I know right now you can't see, but take it from someone who knows. Please take advice from me. Love the one inside you. Take a stand for them. The world is not going to feel the pain that you will feel within. 
So when the world says it's okay that you have the right to choose, when emotions and pressures leave you feeling totally confused, if you cannot find a shoulder, if you cannot find a friend who will tell you in love that this is not the end, then let me be the one to try to change your mind. I'd like to spare you, if I can, the tears that I have cried. Because no one told me of the emptiness. No one told me of the pain. No one told me that I'd hate myself and that I'd never be the same. No one told me of the anger and sadness that would for so long dwell inside. No one told me that a part of me would disappear the very moment that child died. No one told me how my throat would drop every time that I heard the word abortion, which said so casually as if it's just another word. No one told me that I would never forget that I took my child's life and think of what I'd done when I first looked into my other children's eyes. No one told me that I would feel lost and wonder if God would forgive. And no one told me how hard it would be to forgive myself, even though God did. So yes, thanks to this world, women have the right to choose, but that's not a God-given right, so do not be confused. I was not strong, but I hope that you will be. I could not stand up for my child's life, so for yours, I make this plea. That seed that is within you, God plans for it to grow. It's a child, not a situation, so base your choice on what you now know. I made the wrong choice, and every day I'll pay the price. I wish that I could have seen then what I see now through tear-filled eyes. That was such um, poetic and prophetic writing, and I just thank you for standing up and being a beacon of truth and being, a though you're the youngest of your family, a big sister to those um, who need a sister to speak to speak truth. Um, and And so... I, I, and I just want to encourage our listeners, if, if you're feeling grief, that is okay. The Lord wants, he wants you to grieve with him. If you've not done that, he, it's the word says that he collects your tears and he counts them in and he puts them in a bottle and, um, and those who sow in tears reap in joy. And so, um, as she just read that truth over you, I just know there are many of you that, you just felt every word to your core that you could have written that yourself. And, you know, she said she, that was one of the first poems that, that she wrote, but it wasn't the end of her, her writings. And again, I want to encourage everyone to, to get this book and, um, and, and we'll try to order some and have some available on May 3rd to any women that come in. And I should note, Carrie is also planning to be present on, on May 3rd. Um, but I, I want to read, I want to read from page 12 in her book, and uh, this is Carrie's writing. It says, I tried hard to fix my flesh. When I felt short, I found myself making uh, this, then that deals with God. I was hopelessly imprisoned and enslaved to sin, guilt, and shame. I was grabbing all of my proverbial fig leaves trying to cover myself. That's a reference to Eve in the garden who was naked and then knew shame and then tried to cover herself up Um in temporary coverings. Um, she said, my mind continued to say, you have to be right, act right, make this right. In the chaos, my life, my earthly life had no fruit. Though I was living and breathing, I was dead in my sins. Even in my own strength, I was able to conquer a bad habit, but sin was still aggressively occupying my thoughts and my life. I was like the rocky ground mentioned in Mark 4, where the soil um, and the seed were planted, but when it grew, it withered away because it didn't have a root. I needed roots, and I needed to know that my root about my roots and my eternal roots. And I, um, 
I think that it's really important right here that I talk about Ephesians 3. Um, within our organization, we've been speaking, we've had a 25-day challenge of speaking about God's love. And one of the verses is from Ephesians 3, and it talks about how we're strengthened and we're rooted in God's love. And I think that no matter where a, a listener may be in her abortive history and healing journey, wouldn't you agree, Carrie, that the key to everything is getting a revelation that you're rooted in God's love? Absolutely. So how does a woman, how does that happen? I mean, how does that happen? Where does, where does a woman begin to really see that her roots are so secure in God's love for her that what she did did not impact that? Um, because Jesus knew when he died on the cross that he would be dying for every sin that we would knowingly and unknowingly commit against them. How does how does she grow in that revelation of the truth that she's rooted in God's love so that she may experience the healing and freedom that you're now walking in? So I would say the first step is like you have to you have to believe it. Like you just have to grab onto it as truth and just believe it, even if everything in you is trying to convince you otherwise. It's like like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's like you have to believe. He said, repent and believe. Like just turn from whatever else you're believing. Turn from any of the lies. Grab hold of Jesus. Get into his word. It's like as I got into, I didn't even know my Bible. Like I hadn't read my Bible. I didn't even know what it what it said about who Jesus really was. I knew he died for my sins. And so like when I came to this point, it's like, I don't, I think it was like, I was actually listening to on the TV. I had in these um, Bible stories that through music and it's like, Jesus loves me. This I know or the Bible tells me so. And my kids are sitting there listening to it. And I'm like, I don't know that. It's like, I don't know that that's what the Bible tells me. I've been told that. But like when you get into the word for yourself and the word gets into you, it's like Jesus is the word. It's like, and when he becomes your whole life and you're just like spending time with him and his word, like all these stories just start coming to life and bringing you back to life. It's like David, like he was a failure and God redeemed him. It's like still a man after God's own heart. Peter's story of denial and God's like, Peter, do you love me? Like Peter's like, I can hear myself in that. Lord, you know that I love you. So, yeah, just the stories and the examples even in the Bible and the Old Testament, the New Testament, the woman at the well, the woman that is wiping her hair, you know, wiping yeah. his feet with her yes. hair. And the woman uh, at the well is like, I know you're not married. Like, you've had seven men and the one you're with now isn't who you He was trying to explain to her who he was. And so, like, when we just are hungry for him, and the way we find him is through his word, not through listening to other people necessarily, like pastors and preachers and all this can give us good knowledge, but his word fills our heart. His word Amen. becomes truth to us when we have it for ourselves and know him in a relational way. Amen. And I just always go back to that whole, like when you have that relationship, that relationship is what shapes your identity that's been distorted. 
And then from that identity, your lifestyle, obedience, that just flows from love. Like it's all this circle of God's love just being poured into you. And then you can't help but pour it out to others. That's right. So, and yeah. that um, I'd mentioned that we're doing a 25 day declaration challenge. There's these 10, it's 10 statements and verses based on, on God's love. And the whole reason that we are doing that is because our, our words are seeds and we want to renew our mind to that truth because the word says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And so we're, as a ministry, we're purposefully um, declaring the truth of God's love over our life. And as we do that, it's doing a work in our hearts and building a capacity to believe it and to really clean and 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 address those spaces that are the kind of the the mark for example that you gave where where there's just not a revelation of that that root and 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 things have been been being moved around in, in immaturity but i know for me personally in 20 i'd walked with the lord since uh, childhood and in 2017 i i decided to read my bible through from start to finish and just confess every day that god was good it was that that's yeah. what it was. And when I used to, I would try to read my Bible to because I understood it said God was good. So I would try to read my Bible to prove that God was good. And in doing that, I was kind of taking out um, <laughs> taking out faith and confession. And so yeah. when I would get to a hard passage like say Noah's Ark, you know, that depending on if you know the love of God, um, or if you just know about God, you're going to really interpret that story very differently. But normally when I get to a passage, it would kind of spook me a bit because I didn't have that revelation of God's goodness and His love. But in this instance, I just kept plowing through. When I get to a tough spot that I didn't understand why God did something, I would just confess it, God, you're good. And I would keep going, and I would keep going until one day I just shifted from like, this relationship of duty between me and the Lord to this relationship of delight between me and the Lord. Yes. And, it, and it was so a choice. And so talk, this whole conversation that we're having is about choice. And, um, and I want to read another two quotes from your, your book. This is from page 13, and it says, Worldly sorrow over my abortion had produced death in me, but godly sorrow was producing repentance in me that led to my true salvation, meaning repenting, meaning it was turning her toward the heart of God and away from the pain that was in her own heart. I'm just interjecting that in. The agonizing, tormenting fear which had overshadowed me was being replaced with a deep reverential fear and the love for the one who took me under the shadow shadow of his wings. It was here in this safe place with God as my refuge that I received mercy and forgiveness and a spark of healing began. Um, we have a, Carrie, you probably don't know this about us, but we have a cut flower garden ministry and, um, and, and Jesse leads that. And, and she grows with a team of women from our community, these beautiful flowers from seeds, they incubate them in light and all kinds of things. But it's called chispa garden, and that's a Spanish word, and it, it means spark of life, like the capacity for there to be a spark of, of life. And so as I, as I read that about you receiving that mercy and forgiveness as you turned away from your sin and shame and repented, turning toward the heart of God, uh, poured out for you, that that spark of life started to flourish. And, and so I'm going to hop ahead to page 36 and read 
uh, kind of what will be our landing point where you and I will, will start to wrap up this conversation. This is page 36 and 37. It says, healing does not mean we get over anything. It means we get through it. We release the burden we carry to the one who offers rest for our souls. Somehow, and this is still a mystery to me, he enables us to separate ourselves from our iniquity and still carry the reality of our children in our hearts with hope. Healing is an exchange that brings change. We give our broken hearts to the one who, according to Hebrews 10.22, sprinkles our hearts clean from an evil conscience and washes us with pure water so that we can draw near to him with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We give him something broken, and he gives back to us a heart that is whole and wholly his. Healing does not mean we forget. Healing means we choose to come out of the shadow of shame and surrender even this dark part of our hearts, to the great physician who heals us. And then we choose to abide in his grace through the healing process of life. Healing is knowing true peace. And that's where I want to begin to wrap up because I think when we talk about healing, it can be sometimes an arbitrary, ambiguous thing. But that sentence is so powerful. Healing is knowing true peace peace. Would you just speak into that a little more concerning your own life and circumstances? Yeah. Um, for the longest time, like that's what I was looking for is like this peace. I had no peace. I didn't have peace between me and God. I didn't have peace with myself. I didn't have peace with those involved in the abortion. I didn't have peace even just hearing how the world spoke about those who have had abortions. It was just really hard to even, I think I mentioned before, like just in that poem I read, it's like when you hear that word, there's no peace, like you cannot, you want to run, you want to run, you want to hide. It's like, but when the peace of God just floods you, it's like, even that word doesn't cause fear anymore. Like, you know what it is, but it doesn't cause this fear to make you shrink back. It makes you want to speak up more against it, against the harm it's doing to just humans in general, babies and women and men. It's like, it's like, mark on our whole world and it's like but when you have this peace that he brings it's like I guess I guess it goes back to that scripture I bring you peace the world doesn't bring the peace that I bring and yeah. so even like as I'm reading the Bible and looking deeper into some of these words this word peace actually means wholeness yeah and it's like that's what he's doing inside like I one of my favorite scriptures is the I think it's in Thessalonians First or second Thessalonians. I'm not very good with memory. We trust <laughs> where you. They come from, but um, where it talks about uh, may the God of peace Himself make you whole, sanctify you completely. Yeah. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. But it ends with He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Yeah. And it just goes back to like His love. Like His love is so inviting like he will do it we don't have to do it for ourselves. we don't have to make this peace like he brings that peace and then it just flows from us it's not something we're trying to grasp at yes so desperately so yeah that's like, so good I, and I, I'd shared as I was reading my word through and just having this 
revelation stirred of God's love for me back in 2017. I'd been through a um, a traumatic divorce as a, a child, 16 year old. My parents divorced in a traumatic situation, and I'd walked in forgiveness um, concerning that, and really didn't feel I had any offense in my my heart about it. But um, as I was just experiencing this true healing, this wholeness and peace that you're talking about, I had a dream, and that's one of the ways that the Lord speaks to me through dreams, and. Um, and my greatest offender in the natural, in this situation, um, it, it would have been uh, my, my dad by circumstance. And um, But in my dream, something had happened, and he had found himself to be under accusation from the enemy about something. And I was so brokenhearted for him in my dream that he would, could find himself in this situation um, and, and there was a lot more to it, but but when I when I woke up the next day, the Lord just showed me that He had so mended a brokenness in my heart that it was whole to the extent that I could actually now be broken for other people around mm-hmm. me, and it was just a beautiful beautiful revelation of that I I needed, and we all do. We all um, we all need wholeness in areas that are sometimes unseen to us, but the Lord stands ready to minister that sanctification of peace that you just quoted from Paul's epistle. And so um, as we prepare to close, um, I, tra- um, Carrie's going to pray over us in just a minute. And Carrie, specifically, I just want you to pray um, that, that our listeners will receive God's forgiveness for their life, that they'll walk in His love, and that they will um, they'll forgive themselves. And um, ladies, I want to remind you one more time that on May 3rd at 6.30 p.m. in Little Durant, Oklahoma, at our Entourage Chapel, which is located at 1104 West Alabama Street, um, we're going to open our doors, and we're going to be ready for any woman who wants to walk in to peace, to love, to forgiveness. We'll just be the hands and feet of Jesus ready to welcome you into all that he has for you that is ahead. And like I said, I'll try to get my hands on some more books of Carrie's and try to bless anyone that would come with these these books. And Carrie herself will will be there to love on you, to to pray with you, to sit and weep with you, whatever that looks like. Everyone's journey is different. Everyone's process is different. But we serve the same one true God who is a God of love, a God of re- uh, restoration, and Elroy, the God who sees you right where you are right now. You are so welcomed among us on May 3rd. But Carrie, if you will, I just pray the Lord's blessing over you. May he expand and multiply your ministry. And will you pray for our listeners as a final uh, part of this episode? Yes. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord. We thank you that you are who you are. Lord, we thank you that you're a God of love, that you, Lord, you're not just um, the giver of love. You are loved, Lord. You um you give it so freely and Lord, you have given so freely through the cross, through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the, just the redemption or just the power that you give us to walk, not in fear, but Lord, the power you give us to trust you to the faith, Lord, that you're building in us. Lord, I'm just 
thinking of the scripture. It says, daughter, your faith has restored you to health. Go in peace and be healed from your suffering. Amen. Lord, I just thank you so much for each woman who is hearing these words. I thank you, Lord, that you're guarding their hearts, Lord, and you're teaching them how to guard their hearts, Lord. I pray they walk in peace. I pray, Lord, that if they need to come to this entourage meeting on May 3rd, Lord, that you would just block the enemy's plans and hands against them, Lord, that um, any triggers that come, Lord, that your word would just um, be that they would be reminded of something in your word that reminds them that you want them to receive the healing that they need, Lord, that they don't have to hide in secrecy, Lord, that they are fully welcome to come and receive your, your just your loving touch and your mercy and your grace. Lord, you said we can, can come boldly to your throne room. So Lord, I just pray this over every woman. I pray this over um, every sister, every aunt, like, even people who they may know that need to come to this, Lord, that they will share it with them. Just that they can come and receive you, Lord, the true healer, the one who loves us and knows us and sees every bit of our hearts, Lord, that we don't have to keep anything hidden. I thank you for this time. And I just pray blessings over each woman. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you, ladies. And this is a reminder that there there are two podcast episodes in total, which featured um, testimonies such as as this one. So be sure to um, to subscribe so that you can be ministered to by Carrie's story and Lori's story as well. God bless. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. 